Emergency room visits related to children consuming cannabis jumped during the COVID-19 pandemic. A CDC study released this week found that such ER visits were already increasing pre-pandemic due to more states legalizing marijuana, but it got much worse during COVID lockdowns. From 2017 to 2021, emergency cases of edible cannabis ingestion among children younger than six years old increased by 1,375%. This is Pulse Check. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. The venture capital boom that boosted digital health startups during COVID-19 is cooling. New data from the investment firm Rock Health shows that health tech funding decreased by $6.1 billion in the first half of 2023, down from a pre-pandemic $8.1 billion in 2019. The pullback in funding could limit innovation, and some companies have already laid off staff or shut down. New CDC data shows that drug overdose deaths stayed nearly the same between February 2022 and February 2023, with 109,940 deaths versus 110,043 deaths, respectively. The Biden administration hailed this as progress compared to previous years, where there was a sharp year-over-year increase in overdose deaths. But with deaths still above pre-pandemic rates, the issue is likely to be significant in the 2024 presidential election as parties debate solutions. And in a historic move on Thursday, the FDA approved the first over-the-counter daily birth control pill in the U.S. Catherine Ellen Foley is here to explain what this approval means and the implications going forward. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for all of the reporting you've done with me in this space. Yeah, the first ever approval of an over-the-counter hormonal birth control pill. Can you sort of walk us through why this is a big deal and how we got here? Yeah. So Opil, which is made by this generics company that it's called Perigo, it's a progesterone-only birth control pill. And originally, this type of birth control was approved like 50 years ago. The FDA has said it's been safe and effective for a long time, but it required a prescription from a healthcare provider. The thing about any contraception that requires a prescription is that they tend to be a lot more effective than a contraception method that you could buy at the store, like condoms or spermicide. And also those methods aren't really discreet. Like your partner knows if you're using some form of birth control because presumably they have a role in that as well. So this is the first time we have a more effective birth control pill option that a person can take without anybody else knowing. So what groups are expected to benefit the most from this? Like you said, this has been around for decades already, but with the prescription requirement, who had trouble navigating that prescription requirement? That's a great question. So in general, prescriptions are a barrier to care, and sometimes that's a good thing. We don't want people having access to really serious medication willy-nilly. But that also means that it's really hard to get an appointment to go see that healthcare provider. Perhaps you work a kind of job where it's really hard for you to take that time out of your workday. Perhaps you don't have healthcare insurance, so you can't make an appointment to go see a healthcare provider. And like many aspects of healthcare in this country, access for 
contraception for people of color has always been lower. So there's a lot of hope that this will make it really easy for those folks to have access to a birth control pill. It's also really important for people who don't necessarily want anyone else to know that they are taking the pill, as I said earlier. So we're looking at teens who might not want to have to tell their parents or their pediatricians that they are sexually active. We know that there are about 3 million unintended pregnancies annually, and those tend to have worse outcomes for both the person who's pregnant and their babies. Yeah, it struck me that in its announcement, FDA really made a healthcare case for this. You know, a lot of the advocacy groups were making like social health case, but the FDA was saying what you just said, that unintended pregnancies carry higher health risks in general. And we've been hearing so much about how bad maternal mortality is in the U.S. compared to other countries. So I imagine this will fit into that conversation. But I wanted to ask whether people are actually able to obtain and use these pills which are set to be available sometime early next year, depends on how much they're going to cost. What do we know about that? So that is like the next big question. We don't actually have a price. Opal's manufacturers wouldn't give us a price. They said that'll be coming in the coming months. But the question is previously when birth control was covered by a prescription, insurers would cover it. There is a requirement in the Affordable Care Act that mandates that insurers cover some forms of over-the-counter reproductive health care, like emergency contraception, but they require people to have a prescription in that case. So that sort of negates the whole benefit of Opal being over-the-counter. So It's not super clear if this will be covered by insurers just yet. It's not clear if this will be easily affordable by many people. Rigo, the company that makes this, said they're working on a patient access program for those who may not be able to afford it. But we don't have any hard numbers on that yet. I actually have a question for you, Alice. So I've been talking about this from sort of a healthcare standpoint and a regulatory standpoint, but I'm wondering if you could tell us how this approval sort of fits into the reproductive rights and access to care landscape post the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's been really interesting to see the reaction to this decision from abortion rights groups. They're very careful to say that while they support this and they think it will make a big difference in reducing unwanted pregnancies and thus demand for abortion at a time when it's increasingly unavailable, they really stress that this is not a replacement for abortion, that people will still continue to need abortions, whether it's because something goes wrong later in their pregnancy or whatever other reason. So it's been this interesting mixed reaction, but absolutely right now we're continuing to see a lot of people in the states and just in the last few days, we saw Iowa pass six-week ban. We're seeing North and South Carolina move forward with bans and Florida and just a lot of other states and things could continue to go that way depending on the outcome of certain court cases. And so as abortion becomes increasingly unavailable in more parts of the country, there is sort of a heightened focus on how to make sure people don't need to obtain one in the first place. And this is seen as one of many efforts on that front. Others include better sex education, better access to emergency contraception, like you said. But this is seen as a big step. But again, it'll depend on things like insurance coverage, how much it costs at the pharmacy counter, etc. Do you think there's going to be a lot of pushback from some of the anti-abortion groups? 
Yeah, we are already seeing some pushback, even though people who support this FDA decision say it will reduce the need for abortions. You are still seeing some anti-abortion groups come out in opposition. They're raising similar arguments to when Plan B, emergency contraception, was up for over-the-counter approval, saying that it will lead to more unprotected sex, etc. And there's a lot of anxiety around minors accessing this over-the-counter without their parents knowing. Again, it really mirrors the debate that happened around the Plan B approval. So I imagine that will be true going forward. There's also a lot of speculation that some of the same groups or similar groups that challenged the FDA approval of the abortion pill will challenge this as well in a lawsuit and say procedure wasn't done correctly. And so I'm definitely keeping an eye out for that. Quickly, what's something you're keeping an eye out on going forward on this story? I think it's going to be really interesting to track usage over time. You know, I asked some of the makers of the pill how many people they were expecting to use this. What was uptake going to be like? And they didn't really know. They outlined that there are many people in this country, millions of people who don't have access to any kind of contraception, but we don't have great numbers on that. So I'll definitely be looking at how many people seem to be taking it up and whether we can get insurance to cover it for those who might not be able to afford it otherwise. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on here and discussing this, and we will stay on this story. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah and Annie Reese are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.